What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and uh, we have a special guest today, my dear friend, Doug Kraus. We're going to be talking about mortgages, what to do when you uh, have or are looking for one and you are working with locums. And uh, this is still locums month. Excited to uh, bring you a little story time brought to you by locumstory.com, our today's sponsor. And we'll be reading one job, two job, one job, two jobs, red blob, no job. Elective doc, emergency doc, summon overstock, summon out of stock. This doc is too abused. This doc is underused. This doc can't get sick. Say, let's try a brand new trick. For all the docs about to cry, here's an idea you can try. Look into locum tenants assignment, a really great option. You might find it. Don't forget locums pays much better and you can find assignments in any type of weather. With all this info trapped in your thinker, go to financialresidency.com slash locum story and use your mouse to tinker. It's here you'll find unbiased answers you're after, so you can decide if locum tenens is your next chapter. I know they like torturing me reading those things. It's fun. <laughs> Surprised I didn't screw up like 16 times. But before we jump in, one more thing is the disclosure, disclaimer. This is not financial planning, investment, mortgage, or any other type of advice you could think this of. So please just use this as entertainment purposes only. All right, let's bring Doug on and uh, learn a bit more about mortgages. Hey Ryan, how's it going? What's up, Doug? How are you, bud? Doing good. I'm excited to have you on here talking a a little bit about mortgages and dropping some knowledge bombs for us. Um, Locums month is this month and we're gonna be talking uh, the whole month on locums. So we talked a little bit about tax, had a few docs on talking about um, their experiences with locums, and I'm excited to be talking about mortgages because we get a ton of questions around buying your first home and how to what the bank needs and why they need these things. And so I'm excited to have you on to uh, to chat about that. And I would say let's start high level on just maybe wrapping in the process of obtaining a mortgage. Like what what goes into that process? Typically, what we're looking for is your work history and a lot of times new docs that are not necessarily locums taking a new job we're looking at their employment contract and locums typically have an employment contract too so same type of scenario just obviously the contract's going to look a little bit different but same situation you could probably close most doctor lenders two months before the job starts fill out an application get pre-approved before you go out looking just to make sure you know what you can or can't qualify for and there's a big difference between having a, uh, and I'm going to say this probably incorrectly, but like a steady or stable W-2 versus what the banks might consider not as stable if you were just all 1099 income. Um, how do the banks kind of differ between the two and is there different requirements involved uh, if you're working just 1099 locums work? Let's back off from locums for a second just to the 1099 aspect of it because Take a team health, for instance, that, you know, a lot of ER doctors are employed and they're hiring them 1099. And most employers are looking at those with stable income because a 1099 from the IRS standpoint, you're self-employed and you need two years history and you're pretty much not going to get a loan if you just went out and bought an urgent care center. But the typical ER doctor is still an employee they just happen to be collecting their paycheck via 1099. That's going to, you know, depending on the way your contract's written, somewhat hold true for locums as well. Some of them, if you go in, 
and you sign a contract, you might be signing up to say, hey, I'll come cover shifts for six months or a year, and you're gonna cover shifts at an X dollar amount, then banks generally would look at that and say, hey, you know, what's he gonna write off? So he's not really self-employed, and really, they're really no worse for wear than a, 10 or a W-2 employee, but if you go in and you take a locum's job and you're PRN, you have no guarantee, no shift work guarantee, it's just come in and it's either straight RVU pay, you get paid at the end based on your production, or you come in and say, hey, I'll work Tuesday, Wednesday this week, and then I'll see you next month. That's going to be pretty hard to get financed for, but there's certainly opportunity to be a locum's uh, contract doctor and have a contract similar to what a 1099 ER physician does. And would that affect the rates at all on how the bank is doing the underwriting? Would that affect their rates um, trying to apply for a loan? No, not at all. Everybody's going to fair lending. So you either qualify or you don't. But once you qualify, it's based on some banks, you know, not all, but some banks change the rate based on credit score or down payment. And that's really the only thing that's going to move your rate or if you're at a bank where you're paying points to buy a lower rate. But the type of employment, whether it's 1099, W-2, or even locums that qualifies, it's one size fits all on rates as long as you check the right boxes. We're just kind of blanket talking about mortgages here, but maybe we've done several shows on this, but maybe talk a little bit about what a physician mortgage uh, is, and then we can maybe talk about how uh, locums could be you know, potentially the biggest thing on doctor loans is one, no PMI. So, I mean, there's really not any other loan out there besides a VA loan that you can get 100% financing and not pay PMI. And then, really, the. Real quick, why don't you just explain what PMI is for those that maybe don't sure. know? Sure. It, it stands for private mortgage insurance, and it's basically a policy that benefits the bank. So, think of it as a 20% down loan. The bank's taking an 80% risk. So, if they have to sell your house, They've already got your 20% down. So their risk side is they sell it for 80 cents on the dollar. If they had to take the house back, they're still whole. PMI is a private mortgage insurance policy from an insurance for the bank's benefit. And say, for instance, you did a 95% loan. There's different levels of coverage on the PMI, but normally a 95% loan has 30% coverage. So a bank's risk is actually lower on a loan that has 95% with PMI because you've put 5% down and this insurance company has agreed to take on the next 30% of the loss. So doctor loans don't have PMI, therefore, in theory, riskier loans, but because doctors, you know, you guys all pay. So there's really no risk and the banks have figured that out. That's why they're willing to make 100% loans with no PMI. Lack of PMI is one big factor in a doctor loan, but the other one that you just can't get outside of a doctor loan is, you know, you're moving across the state or across the country. Most people want to buy a house before their job starts. So you don't really have a job to qualify with your old job because you can't call moving from Connecticut to Texas. Your job in Connecticut's not going to pay for a primary house in Texas because you're not going to commute. So you're giving up your job or will be giving up your job in Connecticut but we'll let you close on a loan two to some lenders even three months before that job starts. That's the real driving, you know, behind wanting a doctor loan is being able to close without actually having your first paycheck in hand. Yeah. That second point is, is pretty huge and pretty critical 
um, that I think most physicians kind of overlook. And most of them are buying and getting a physician loan for the number one, which is the low down payment, which is not how that should be looked at, but it's still a good perk. And uh, as you said, the banks are willing to loan because the doctors are good for it, right? They're unfortunately debt immune. They have already taken on a ton of debt. They've always paid their debts and statistically their lower uh, bank is fee rates or, or foreclosure rates. So they're willing to take that gamble. But in the physician mortgage, is there a rate uh, difference between that and a conventional loan or is it just based on loan size? Uh, you know, a lot of lenders, the conventional like Fannie, Freddie, right now for most of the country, it's about 548, 250 after the first year. I think you're going to see that bump up to around 625. And then the, everything over that's a jumbo. So the conventional rates with 20% down, I'm only seeing maybe an eighth of a percent cheaper than a doctor loan. But you have to remember the doctor loan with no PMI, if you are paying PMI on a doctor loan, it's probably anywhere from five eighths to three quarters of a percent that you're not paying in payment. So if you could get a conventional uh, non-jumbo loan at say three today, and you were quoted three and a quarter in a doctor loan, that's still cheaper than the person that was taking out a loan and having to pay PMI. And honestly, at this point, a lot of the jumbo loans are as cheap, if not even sometimes cheaper than the conforming rates. They're really becoming more because they're a non-conforming loan anyway. It's not something sold to Fannie Freddie. Most doctor loans are not sold just for the sheer fact that there's no buyers for loans that are originated without that PMI and or down payment. But in that secondary space, there's just a, you know, a good niche. If you're putting 20 to 25% down, it might be something you want to compare to a doctor loan. But again, if you're wanting to close before your job starts, even if you have the 20% down, that may not be a good fit where the doctor loan lets you get in. You mentioned conforming and non-conforming. I think it might be helpful there just to give a little definition. What do you mean there? So conforming is anything that could be sold to Fannie or Freddie. So that's the 548, 250 high cost areas like say San Diego, that number might be seven, 800,000, but anything that's not, anything that's not conforming is non-conforming. And that would be a jumbo loan. Also a non-conforming loan could be something like a, bank statement loan, which I hope those don't really make a comeback from the last crisis. We didn't learn anything from it, but anything that's not a normal provide me your pay stubs and W-2s could be a non-conforming too. We've kind of gone through the basics of a loan and obtaining one, um, but I guess we haven't discussed like the process of actually, hey, I want to buy this house. I want to get a loan what is kind of from A to Z, how does that work? And does it differ if you are working a W-2 versus if you're working locums? Anybody, no matter who it is, I mean, first thing you want to do is get approved for the loan. At least make sure that you can get pre-qualified because it sucks to go out and find a house you love and then find out you can't get financing for it or it's more than you can afford. Because if you go out and look at an $800,000 house, then come talk to me and I tell you, you can only afford six hundred. dollars you're going to be really disappointed when you start looking at a lesser house. So first step should always be talk to the lender first. Just bypass the realtor, come find me or somebody in my space and find out what you can qualify for, if you can qualify being locums. But again, I think a lot of people have the you know idea that locums are just not going to qualify because they're 
self-employed and it's just not true. It all depends on the way your contract's written. So hopefully you can get, if you've already got a contract, maybe get it reworded. I help people go back all the time to get language added to their contract that before it gets to an underwriter to say, well, wait a minute, they don't have any real guarantee here. The idea behind it was the doc was going to be there for six months or a year anyway, so they don't really care. In fact, they're probably happy to have a locums commit to a year. Really quick, I'm going to interject here for a second. What about if they have a W-2 and they're doing locums on the side and they're trying to qualify for a home and they actually need that locums income. I can talk on the planning side of why this is not a good idea, but I'm curious and I'm sure some people are out there curious on how the bank would view, Hey, I've got a W2. I'm doing a few extra shifts on the side. Does that income factor into what I can qualify my debt to income ratio with the bank or is it excluded? So it depends on how long they've been doing it because if it's a locums job and it's their primary job, clearly they can see going to have to make an income. So this is, where their main source of income is. A second job, again, it might be that PRN basis where this week I'm gonna work 10 extra hours and next week, you know, I'm not coming back till next month. So you don't really know for sure, depending on, again, how the contract's written. If you've got a part-time job and it's locums, but it's something you've been doing for six months or a year, then sure, that counts. But if it's something you just started doing and you don't have any guarantee, then it's probably not gonna get counted. Okay. So, uh, and even six months, I think that's really uh, a short period of time that the bank even would accept that. I would assumed it would have been a, a year at least, uh, but that's good to know. Now from the financial planning side, I'll put that hat on real quick. Please do not buy a home that you have to afford by actually taking extra shifts because you will be miserable when you are forced to, to continually take those extra shifts just to pay for your lifestyle. Not yeah, hopefully money. most people are taking those for uh, their fun money or, you know, to get out of debt quicker. That's why I like to see that as not like you said, to buy a million dollar house when they really should have been buying a $700,000 house, but maybe to say, I want to get my student loans paid off in four years instead of 15 years. I've been doing it long enough to know that, unfortunately, that's not the, the, the fun, sexy stuff of, uh, hey, I'm going to go and you know, pay off my, uh, or go on vacations and do those things. Usually I'll weigh the, the unsexy thing of, Hey, I'm going to pay off my student debt. There are a few of you out there and I applaud you. Uh, I just want to make sure that, uh, I, I at least stated that, of please don't work a normal job, then go add shifts on top just to pay for your standard of living and buy the expensive home. I like how Doug's saying, use it to pay down debt. Maybe I'm a little bit of an optimist and saying that most would do that, but I'm hoping that's the case. Uh, but Doug, so I, I interrupted you before. So great. They've figured out they want to buy a home. They're going to come in, they're going to get pre-approved. And then just maybe in short, kind of like, what's the process? Like, what is the bank going to request and why are they requesting it? First thing you should do is have a conversation with the loan officer, kind of go through, you know, a, just a pre-qualification on the phone before you get into an application. Because last thing you want to do is go through a conversation with me or I, I should say, skip that conversation. When you go in, fill out an app, report your credit, and then come to find out you didn't even come close to qualifying for what you want. So it should have been a conversation to know that it's very likely you're going to get approved before you apply. And then the next thing I would say, this just comes up so much lately, is with all the different companies that have been hacked, everybody out there has got the credit frozen. So 
very first thing you need to do before you start talking, filling out an app, I should say, is unfreeze your credit. Because as soon as you fill out an application, first thing we need to do is pull your credit. And pulling credit and finding out it's frozen, one, it's frustrating because you want to answer right now. And then I can't give it to you because now I have to call the credit agency and get them to release to let me pull another credit bureau. And then whenever you do finally close, now you're going to pay for two credit reports. So I would say 50% of all people out there have their credit frozen. That's the first thing you should be thinking is, hey, I'm going to fill out an app. I better go and freeze my credit. And then you can freeze it right back after it's pulled. And then we're going to look at it one more time right before closing. But it's just, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying it's not a good thing. Actually, it's probably a really good thing to keep your credit frozen with all the hacks that have happened. But after that, we're going to collect... Uh, either your contract, if that's your source of income, or if you're actually working a job already, pay stubs, two months of uh, asset statements, like your checking, savings, wherever your source of down payment and or reserves are coming from. And then from there, you know, we're gonna take that amount of information along with your application and credit pull to an underwriter to get their blessing, just so you've got a true pre-approval and not just, you know, because the worst thing that's gonna happen is you get a hold of somebody like me that's only been doing this for a year instead of 20 years. And they, oh yeah, you're good. And then you come to find out, shoot, you know, I've got medical collections. I didn't look at my credit and I've got a 680 credit score instead of the 750 I thought I had. So it's just get all your ducks in a row, talk to somebody with experience, go through the process, let us pull your credit, let us collect your assets and income. Because if you're ever going to have a problem qualifying, it's always going to be assets or income. And if you just get all those in at the onset of your application, then it's not going to be a surprise gotcha and fall into that trap of you don't qualify for the house you just fell in love with. And then you have to lower your expectations because it's super disappointing. One of the questions we got emailed in before we uh, exit off this was, uh, are my retirement assets counted in my asset pool? in order to qualify for the loans? That's very lender dependent. So some lenders will count your retirement assets because most of them want some form of reserves. And it depends on how big a loan you're getting, how big your down payment is, whether that's two months or 12 months, or you know, if you're borrowing 400,000 and you've got two months reserves, that might be enough for one lender. And if you're borrowing 2 million, then they might want to see more reserves. So some will count the retirement at maybe a 50%, you know, only count it at a 50% haircut. Others won't count it at all. And some will just take it as, you know, face value. So it's all lender dependent on who you're working with. I look at it as uh, if you need your retirement accounts in order to post your, your asset requirements, you're probably buying too much home that you can't afford. That's- yeah, I mean, most doctors do come in, especially the first time, they're, and that's what banks like about them. They're high income earners, but they just haven't had time to accumulate the assets yet. So they'll get there. And and I agree with you. I mean, it's just not smart to walk in and scrape every penny you've got, put it together, and then walk out of the closing and you're flat broke waiting on your next check because you guys just make too much money to be broke at any given time. So you always want to have that emergency fund. And that emergency fund can count as your reserve. So Really, if you don't have an emergency fund that's going to get you through three months, then you're probably not ready to buy. I agree. It's all about proper planning and budgeting and making sure you have a plan in place and, and 
you know, the home is likely going to be your largest purchase you ever make until you sell that and buy another home. Uh, it's, uh, I don't think there's going to be a bigger purchase than that. And making sure you have the right team around you to help you not only qualify for the loan, but make sure you don't spend too much and make sure that you don't cause some financial harm when you feel like your house poor and you can't do anything fun other than be in the house because that took all your money. That's not a fun feeling to have. Unfortunately, I had friends that have done that exact thing. Uh, thankfully, we, we haven't, but had friends do that and it's a horrible experience and buying a house should be a fun experience. You're potentially buying, let's say your first or maybe second home and it's an exciting time. Um, just make sure you don't overspend and that you're working with someone that is extremely knowledgeable and has done this for a long time. Uh, Doug is married to a physician. He's a friend of mine for many, many years. Uh, we're both avid Chiefs fans, so that helps out too, you know, long conversations. But, uh, you know, Taylor and I have personally used Doug on on our loans, and we've loved every uh, every second of it. So we, we appreciate you. You know, you've helped uh, dozens and hundreds probably at this point of financial residency listeners, your go-to in our community, and we really appreciate uh, all the help you give. Uh, for those that don't um, know you, maybe this is the first time they've heard of you because they're just joining our community, which is awesome uh, that they're joining. But you know, how do they get a hold of you? I know that um, you are hard at work, but uh, you're always willing to help our community. And so maybe just tell them how they can get a hold of you and we can end up uh, here. The best way is going to go to my website is just my name, www.dougkraus.com. And it's C-R-O-U-S-E. And that'll have both my cell phone and my email address on it. So that's definitely the way to get a hold of me. Well, if you haven't joined our community, you can do so at financialresidency.com slash community. And you can tag Doug inside the community as well. He answers tons of questions and helps people out uh, with all things related to mortgage. And uh, we appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us this afternoon. I look forward to having you back on. All right. Hey, thanks again for having me. And it's good talking to you again. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much for locumstory.com for sponsoring this episode. So if you are here for unbiased answers to figure out if Locum Story is your next chapter, check them out. By, by going to financialresidency.com slash locum story. Have a great week, everyone, and catch you next week. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.